Hello and welcome to episode 32 of Get Out of Rap. Today um, I'm joined by Marianne Rutz. Marianne Rutz is a founder of Rutz Consulting and has spent a long career um, working in outsourcers with people like Hertz and PayPal and has managed operations numbering 3,000 FTE around the world. And I guess most importantly, she's an inspirational person to to talk with. Um, like me, she also runs a podcast, which is brilliant. It's called Operational Excellence. Uh, some more details on that later. Please do listen to it. It's in terms of increasing your, your knowledge about our industry. Marianne's great and has some great guests on. So, yeah, hope you enjoy it. So, Marianne, thank you very much for for joining me. Um, we are we share so many similar interests oh, Absolutely. And, and experiences. So this is great to be able to, to talk to you. Um, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Great. Me too. Thank you very much for having me as your guest. I'm delighted. So let's start with the kind of the, the big question. And weirdly, when I was putting the podcast together, I didn't think this would be an area that people were so kind of interested in. But it's really to find out about the people that are coming on, people like yourself, how have you got to where you are? How have you ended up where you are now? Do you know what? If somebody would have told me 20 years ago when we still called the contact center a call center, remember? Yes. <laughs> and would have said, oh, well, you end up working in a call center and it will be your career. I would have gone, are you for real? Absolutely <laughs> yeah. not. Uh, but as it happened, um, I, was, I was privileged to help the Hertz Corporation to set up their, what they called, um, shared services center. And of course, that didn't sound like a contact center yeah. or a call center, in matter of fact, it is. So they hired me to help them transition from Switzerland, from Germany, the Netherlands, Belgium, the countries basically that didn't speak English from mm. mainland Europe. Um, they hired me as a project manager just to, to help transition, which I did and I loved. Then they offered me a, a, a permanent position. I, was there for, I thought I was there for nine months on the contract. I left Hertz after six years in service <laughs> with them. Absolutely loved the place. And the only reason why I left was I couldn't get past my upline at the time, mm. my direct line manager. She was happy where she was. There was no movement. And I was like, I love this industry. I need to do better than senior team lead, junior ops. I really want to go to ops director. Um, so I left and, and went to, to PayPal. And that was my first really um, high profile assignment, if you wish, looking after executive customers with PayPal. And that were, that were people that spent thousands of pounds with PayPal mm. and, and had a complaint, multilingual. So no English involved at all. And then I said, oh, well, there's something going here. I'm the one that speaks a number of languages. I love this. And that kicked it off. And here we go, 20 odd years later, I'm still here. <laughs> I love the industry. And I can wholeheartedly say I made it my career. Mm. And I would encourage anyone that loves working with people, loves solving problems, 
and can stomach the, the pressure that there is pressure in our industry, you know, two yeah, ways about sure. but, but, but can learn to to kind of live with that and, and handle it. And then this is a great career to be in. Really yes, is. yeah, you're an evangelist like myself around what's yeah, possible totally. in, <laughs> totally. in, in, in our world. For that, um, for the period then when you were at Hertz, yeah. was there, how long was that period where you realised that you wanted to do more? Um, was it a long period? Did you um and ah for a while or? Do you know, I don't think it was a little bit twofold. A, it suited my, the, the stage in life where, where I was on. I was, in fairness, in hindsight, I was running away from home, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, from the, the family fell apart and, and I needed something else to focus on. And Ireland offered me, the Hertz offered me a visa. I, at the time, because Switzerland is not in the European Union, uh, I needed a working visa. And you know, for the first time when I had to queue at like 5 a.m. in the morning uh, at the Dublin immigration office in line with God knows how many other people. And I was like, my lovely red Swiss passport doesn't do anything here. That was one thought. Oh, when I get this stamp, I'm going to stick it out as long as I possibly can. And then eventually it became a question of, I love the work. I had beautiful managers. I do have mm -hmm. to say credit to the team at the time they were really people focused mm. they they offered me leadership training really early on mm. um so i had a mentor there who was he he was just amazing he was well above me but he took the time and yeah when when it then came about that the the renewal didn't i didn't have to renew anymore because it's going to some sort of agreement with the european union i said well i can now stay so I stayed in Ireland and I stayed in the industry, but I cannot tell you there was a distinct moment. I just mm. grew into it. And yes, it helped that it was travel. That's what I had studied. So I had studied travel and tourism back home. So at that point, I was still thinking I'm working in the travel industry, not yes. the call center industry. Yeah. <laughs> or as we now say, the contact center industry. And then, so, you, and then from um, PayPal, you because you've been you've set up your own consultancy and you've yeah. been doing that for what eight years what was, that, was yeah. that paypal straight into that or no it wasn't from paypal in paypal i realized that what i needed to really understand the whole big contact center world there were two elements missing a i had never managed any more than 250 fte mm. And B, I had not worked for an outsourcer. I didn't have a clue what that meant. So outsourcers, they, well, I'll be frank here, okay? Outsourcers do not have a good name. Yeah? No. <laughs> so, yeah. so as it happened then, I got, I got an opportunity to work with an outsourcer, a very small outsourcer at the, at the time. And very little did I know that they would be swallowed up by one of the big ones. But it was a small outsourcer called Client Logic, very small, um, only across the road from Hertz, interestingly. Um, and I got an opportunity to, to manage to manage an operation of 3,000 FTE for Lexmark wow. around the globe. So I had operations yeah. in Dublin, I had in Düsseldorf, I had in Rabat, in Bangalore, St. Jones in Canada, and Lexington, where, where Lexmark's head office is. Well, that was a truly global vendor and a, 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 a client relationship manager role. So, and that got me hooked. Yeah. You know, 
I wasn't in travel anymore. Well, I traveled and I loved it. <laughs> so that really, that was my entrance into the contact center, into the contact center outsourcing world. And I probably would have stayed there. I, I uh, did then a, a contract, a short contract. So that's when I founded Woods Consulting, mainly because I needed an umbrella company mm. so that I could get paid. And then uh, five years ago, the, my, whole, my whole entire wonderful world, which I loved it, it just literally, it just fell to pieces when I was told that I, when I was given a cancer diagnosis, I was as healthy as anyone. I did really? not have, I, I had nothing. I, I went to the doctor because I thought I had, I couldn't recover from a gastritis. That's why mm. I went to the doctor. Mm. And then um, there was in and out and, 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 you know, it's nothing wrong with you. And maybe it's just give yourself time and whatever else. It wouldn't go away. So eventually um, they sent me to a specialist in, in, at, here at the Fourth Valley Royal Hospital. And it turns out it was a bowel cancer and it wow. needed to come out like yesterday. And I was like, what? So in fact, it's honestly, Martin, that was probably the one time where I thought, oh my God. Mm. So I, 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 I went through the, church, through the cancer journey, um, used a number of tools that I learned in the corporate world so, for example, I managed the whole chemotherapy and, and all of that. I managed that with the project man. And really? I never forget my oncologist's face. And I came in and said, here is the plan. Will this work? And she was like, oh, um, on paper, yes. It's the cycles and all is there. But I'm telling you now these milestones. She was very good. She said to me, I'm telling you, we will not be able to meet all the milestones. Are you prepared to move them? And I was like, of course I am. That's what I do. <laughs> yeah. so, so, so that, that was, that was really when I thought, Oh, actually I have something here. What so after that? the, after the shock, then you actually yeah. applied some of the rationale and methodology. Absolutely. I used six, six, I used the six Sigma fishbone to kind of look at what's there and how does it hang together? What is waste? What do I not want to deal with? Where is a process issue that, you know, I was looking for defects. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, and then I put it in a nice project plan. I mean, in hindsight, yes, a lot of it was just trying to keep myself busy and occupied and not facing the harsh reality. Mm. On the flip side, now also, I am really convinced the methodology helped me to get through the treatment, helped me to stay focused, and most importantly, helped me to deal with setbacks because they were there. I could really? agree they were there. So I then kept myself busy and thought, well, actually, maybe I just do some sort of a qualification. I did, some, did a health coaching qualification, more for, the, for myself. And I started to uh, study um, up, uh, applied occupational psychology because that was something I was always interested in. I had stacks of books that I had bought over the years and never read. And now I had the time to read. And I said, oh, I could, I could um, coach cancer patients. So it was, it was well intended. So I started it. But what then happened, did these my ladies, they, they were unwell and two of them died. And I was like, mm. oh my God, I can't do that. That's way yeah. too close to home. Yeah. 
How long and was this? How long was this period? So on the uh, the the cancer diagnosis was four years ago, and then the treatment took about a year and a half. So I of course had thought I am going to do this in nine months. Yeah, mm. I just sailed through this. But then I had, a, I had a relapse and I came out of remission and I needed further treatment and I had to go on. Um, so now I'm, I'm in remission and it's all holding and it's all fine. I'm not quite out of the woods yet. They haven't discharged me yet from the hospital. So I still go for my checkups. I still go for my appointments. Um, but then I think it was the first assignment I got was a small really small piece of work for Eurostar. They just wanted me to look at their operation in St. Pancras and in Gare du Nord because they basically said, Marianne, it's not working. We need, mm. we need a, a health check. We need an assessment. It just doesn't work. So I took that and it was French and English and German. I absolutely loved it. It was great. Then the next one came, a smallish one as well. And then I got a big contract um, uh, in tandem with, with WebHelp and Signify in the Netherlands. And they said, okay, this is me. I, I am now well and truly self-employed in the contact center industry. I never really, I was not born an entrepreneur, mm. but I thought I can really do that. And I love what I do. And I can bring the expertise from working in-house, from working on the vendor side and the supplier side. I had a 12-month engagement on the Harriet Green um, with, uh, with Thomas Cook. And that was amazing because she was just such a great lady to work with. Um, unfortunately, they did in September. Cook said at the time, you really need to move to Frankfurt. I wasn't quite ready for that. I had met my husband at then by then and, you know, ended up in Scotland, basically, um. <laughs> rather than Frankfurt. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot to unpack from that. I have to say your, your enthusiasm is infectious and really uh, it's inspirational to hear at a time when your world has been shattered after yeah. after applying that logic and then using the time to train yourself and to undertake qualifications and continue your career to the to the extent you have now is amazing it's brilliant well and thank you that's really kind of you for, to, to say i i firmly believe we we are who we who we are formed over a period of time. And if we apply ourselves to the best we can, there is, there is so much good out there. Mm. Especially in our industry, what, it, what, this, what the cancer journey well and truly has done, Martin, it has given me a lot of compassion mm. for people in my world, my frontline agents, team managers, ops managers, that, that suffer, that that, that lost a joy on their job, mm. that maybe cannot cope with stress easily, or they do indeed have a, a, a serious illness in the family. And, and I really didn't, I was never harsh to anyone. I, mm. I don't think I'm, I am that kind of person, but I lacked the understanding of how much this can impact on, on your career and your life. Mm. And that, you know, it, it opened me doors also within the industry where 
I can wholeheartedly go to a HR manager and say, can I see your return to works? And when I then read stupid things like, oh, that's a third absence because the mother, apparently the mother-in-law is unwell. Mm. I'm going, what did you write that for? Mm. Oh, well, we don't quite trust this person. It, it, it seems to be a pattern. And I'm going, has anyone actually really taken the time to dig a little bit deeper? Mm. On maybe, a human level. Maybe there is something on a human level. And mm. he may well say my mother-in-law is, is unwell. Mm. But maybe she's seriously unwell. Mm. Or maybe there's a, a wider issue that we can maybe address by adjusting the shifts, for example. Mm. I think it's, I it's think so interesting. You know? It's so interesting, isn't it, that... Um, I think it, I always think of team leaders and how that what we ask of them, given that they're looking after fifteen or twelve to twenty people. Yeah. And I've had real experiences of having to coach people that it's an investment of effort yeah. to understand individuals at a human level. So that that point you make is a really good example about the return to work and everyone is focused on either the numbers and the process which they should be Absolutely. But, but, I, but i've seen too often like you people's assumption is that that, that there's some sort of uh nefarious re people are, are not being truthful or they're making things up because they just wanted time off rather than taking the time to really think and, and demonstrate empathy to yeah. say when people are going through things that we all go through in life, yes. some more serious than others, yeah, absolutely. That, that baggage and that weight is carried into the workplace. Yeah. And, you know, it is a responsibility if you lead people to try and alleviate that. And that only comes through understanding, doesn't it? Totally. Absolutely. Totally. But it also, I, I appreciate that maybe not everybody can, can understand everything. I cannot wholeheartedly say I would not easily understand somebody that has maybe a, a, a mental health issue, a, mm -hmm. a depression issue, that's not me. Mm -hmm. But if somebody says, my mother has cancer, mm -hmm. my goodness me, I know exactly what, what this woman is going through and what that means for the family. And the first thing I, I would say would then be, how can I help you? Can I adjust your shift? Is there these treatments, they always happen on the same day, mm -hmm. what they do, hospitals cluster the, the, the cancer types together for, for their chemo treatments. So that's all planable, mm. but not, I need to go and find this out from my person. They would not come to me and say, by the way, I need to go every Friday morning for my bloods and in the afternoon to cancer treatment. They would never say that because we created an industry that doesn't easily allow us to, to talk about these things. Mm. But we, we are, you know, it, it gets to me when then when you then read um, people are our greatest assets or we trust you wholeheartedly. Yeah. And we don't. Yeah. It just it's so disconnected. And I, I often think the same about company values. They're, they're not just words and things yeah. that, are, that are on a wall. I think if you really want to show that you put your people first, it's actually in training people leaders on yeah. how on how to do that yeah and that, and that isn't something that's done in a one-day session you know no. that, that that takes some time doesn't it exactly exactly how has your journey and your experiences then 
because one of the things you were keen to talk about was this concept of people first leadership and the value inherent in that oh yeah firstly kind of like what what does that mean for you and um how what are the benefits of, of seeing that kind of that concept Oh, thank you for asking. That's one of my favorite topics to talk about. <laughs> so over the years, I've obviously I, have, I was really privileged to, to work in, a, in great centers and to really, really learn a lot and get a lot of tools. So I kind of coupled, initially it was really coupled together my own framework. I, I'm, I'm an, quite, um, an organized person, so I need to somehow have a, something I work towards. That's, yeah. So I created that framework leading people, executing process, amplifying profit. And what I mean by that is, it's a form of a pyramid. If you, you need to lead your people and that, that really, honestly, Martin, that starts with how you attract people into your firm, what you offer them, how you onboard them, how the career progression is, do they get paid on time, do they get their one-to-ones? Are they nurtured? Are they, I'm saying it now, are they loved so that mm. they can do the job, that they feel mm. valued? Followed by executing process. And by that, I mean, one of my pet hates is when I do a, a, an assessment, a, a 360-degree assessment, that's where is your operational handbook? Oh, we meant to do one, but we don't have, you know, there's a bit on the folder here and then we have snow and we have that as a knowledge base and we have this. That's not what I asked. Yeah. Where is your operational manual? Mm. Oh, what? We, we don't have that. And then I'm like, you are missing out because an operational manual, a process is not just their business continuity process, mm. but, you know, which... In fairness, if you're there and go and dig, many of them don't hold the water. <laughs> no, I, I wonder. I wonder how many during the pandemic were referred to, and then yes. people thought this isn't yes. going to help us at all. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so that process piece it it has such a, it it is so important because it it really helps you to to move your operation forward to make it truly excellent. And then if, if your people are happy and your processes stack up, you make profit. If you're in the outsourcing world, you do maximum billing. Mm. You know, you have green service levels, so you are not, not paying any penalties. And if you are in-house, you can truly add value. So your contact center isn't a cost center. Yeah. It can be a profit center. Mm. And people, when I say a contact center can't be a profit center, people go, you'll be mad. You know, yes, but if you treat it as a cost center and you run it on the lowest budget that you possibly have, yeah. well, no wonder your NPS goes down and no wonder your, people, your, your, your end customers, they scream and they're unhappy if, if you don't invest. And that's, do you think that lends itself then to that kind of, I love one of your, your, your points earlier, just to come back to is around that kind of perception of um, outsourcers. If, if the outsourcer is driven by that kind of um, cost model and then it, there's an acceptance around high attrition and all of these things, yeah. often you can see that and go, this is insanity because you are actually expecting a different result without looking at the processes that lead yeah. to these um, yeah. results. But like you, I've worked in a, an outsourcer environment 
and the misperception is something that I've always found quite startling because I've been lucky to work in good outsourcers yeah. and customer too. first, uh -huh. people yeah. first. Absolutely. And, and yeah. often trying to do it with one hand tied behind your back, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. that, make, that lends itself then for you to be um, creative. How do you think the industry can um, change that perception? That's a very good question, and I love the question because I think a lot about how do we change this whole piece around, how do we shake it up a little bit. Um, to, to me, I think it's twofold. Firstly, I, I would like to turn all these frontline people into advocates for their work and they do and the firm they work for. Mm. That's, that's, that has a, that's a, has a lot to do with, with really helping these guys to develop and, and be there for them and, 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 you know, support them. That's one piece. But the other is also, I would like to really change the mindset of, of the public because, you know, in fairness, contact centers are here to stay, whether you yeah. like it or not. If you ring an airline, you got into to a contact center and these people can be busy. And it's by no means that they don't want to, to talk to you. They genuinely want to talk to you. But if you scream down the phone, once you get to an agent, that doesn't help. You know, it, it really works both ways. Yeah. <laughs> and I say, yeah. dear customer, you know, I want to help you. But if you roar at me for the first 10 minutes to, you know, how disappointed you are that you had to queue and I don't even have an opportunity to apologize that you had to hang in the queue. That's not nice. No. So it's, it's really, I think both sides need a bit of a shake up that the, the, the the customer who phones and and the firms who provide the service and there is where i believe if you look after your people and you get your processes right and yes everything is evolving all the time i get that then you can also make money and i'm with you you know outsourcers not every outsourcer is bad there's i work for fabulous outsourcers so this perception that oh this is an outsourcing center somewhere in india well back office processes are perfectly fine in yeah. India. Maybe, and we all know that maybe frontline services are not that great. And we are, we are fixing it. We are bringing mm. these services somewhere where the English language is easier, understandable. We do something about it. We learn. Mm. Mm. As you know, kind of, we have another similarity in the, um, where I work now is very much, we provide a multilingual service. Yes. Um, I've lived and worked in, Turkey and um, also got to work in Germany and Madrid and that that element I think has absolutely benefited my outlook not just with work but it, with in life as well and you um, spoke to one of my colleagues Helen who's also yes yes also multilingual how do you think how does that the multilingual element apply to how you approach work even if the work is just in one language the multilingual aspect to me comes then in when the framework is there and you need to make allowance for localisms mm. and for let's say language um 
adaptions. And by that, I mean that, for example, that there is languages and there is cultures where it's perfectly fine that you raise your voice a little bit. Yeah. Because this is what they do. Let's, for example, Northern Africa, they work that way. There's mm. no, they don't mean anything bad. And if I then respond, I, they don't feel offended. Yet, when, when, when somebody from the outside world, or, or not kind of attuned with cultural differences, is listening to their call, they're going to go, oh my God, that's really aggressive. Yeah. Really mean, let's just mark this person down. That is horrendous. Or uh, quite typically with Germans, German people do not like to talk about the weather forever. They phone, they want an answer, they hang up. Yes. So there's no point in kind of trying to put in some niceties in the, in the call flow or into the script. And it annoys the hell out of them. So why would we do that? Yeah. And, and I think that that's what, when, I ha when I have a, the baseline, uh, let's say, the process, then I pack any... Uh, culturalisms, language issues on top of that, because we all agree we need to measure up, we need to measure apple to apple. So therefore, the base process needs to be the same. May not, you know, there may be slight variances, but in principle, that's what we do from A to B. But make the allowance for the culture. Yeah. Or there are absolutely. Average handling time is another one that really annoys me. The average handling time is about four minutes. Right. It depends who you phone. Yeah. And, and, and to, to, to drum that home, that it's maybe not the right measurement anymore, average handling time, then to, to kind of bring this across into a multilingual contact center, that's... That's quite something, I can tell you. It's very hard to move away from these measures that we had for 20 odd years and, and still think we can't change them because it's the only way we, we do things. I guess I wonder, for me, it's always been, you are, the, the, the measures either are there for information or the measures actually determine behaviour and how people are are managed and I think AHT is a really interesting one because at some level it needs to be there underlying so you can you yeah. can plan but when that AHT turns into dictating how interactions take place yeah of course there needs to be some common sense applied but when it becomes the be all and end all and I think you're right it definitely feels like um, that is becoming less of less of the, the you know the number one priority for for centres, thankfully. Yeah, but, but it, 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 needs to, it needs to actually somehow come to the forefront. I always find when I do assessments and I look at the numbers and look at the service level agreements, my clients get very defensive. And they say, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, this is the service level agreement and, and it has been agreed with our end client. And, and I'm, like, I'm not here to, you know, bash you over the head with your service level. I just want to understand how how good or how how are you meeting them and if you don't meet them because this is why you brought me in you're saying it's not working what can actually be done and sometimes it is a conversation around the kpis that have been identified because they simply don't lend themselves to the business or the process mm. so you know 
don't get so defensive. It's, I'm not saying you can't have them. I'm saying let's make them measurable so that A, they, they make sense for the end customer as well. They make sense for the person who provides the service. And it makes sense for, for our planners because, of course, workforce management needs some sort of guidance how to staff. And they usually come from AHT and a number of, of calls handled, etc. I think um, if we're talking about um, similarities as well, one of the things, and also sort of trying to address this perception that still exists sometimes, one of the things that um, you do, and given hearing your how busy you are, the journey you've been on, I don't know how you find the time to do it, but you also run a podcast. What, yeah. Can you tell us about that and when you started to do that? I do not podcasting. I, when I was ill, I had a lot of time on my hands and I, I listened to podcasts, usually in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. Even steroids kept me awake all night. So I was listening to podcasts. I said, oh, I would love to do a podcast about my industry, but I didn't have the energy nor anything else. So I kind of pushed it in front of me, in front of me, in front of me. And eventually, I think about October, November time, you came, I think it was before Christmas last year, there you came out with your podcast, your first series. Yeah, yeah, it was... Um, Get Out of Rap. Because yeah, I made, distinctly yeah. remember listening to it and commenting, <laughs> they, I love that. And I said, Great, there is now a podcast. Why can I not do that? So anyway, anyway I pushed it in front, ahead for a while. And then I thought, you know what, Marianne, just, just you know, do it yeah so i kicked it off i started it in february i absolutely love it people probably can hear i'm, I'm passionate about the industry i like to talk I'm, I'm a much better talker than writing blog posts or whatnot um and i was very very privileged to have a number of really interesting guests including you and helen <laughs> and i did have um uh, my client, Bart Hendrik Huisman from uh, Signify in the Netherlands, great episode where people really openly and willingly share the good and the bad and the ugly of the industry. And in my opinion, there is so much good out there mm. and it, it needs to be heard. And if, if the podcast or our chat just inspires people to say, okay, this, there is something to this 200 billion pound industry which is here to stay more so now than ever yeah maybe i should seriously consider how i approach a contact center or maybe i could really have a career here and if somebody has a career here then happy days i just i love the fact how um i think our, our interaction has actually kind of it, it, it evidences what I found through doing the podcast, but throughout my career anyway, which is people are happy to share, you know, yeah. that people could look at it and say, are you guys in competition? It's never been about competition um, no, for me. It's, I, it's about creativity. It's ex not about exactly, competition it, at it, all. Exactly. Because yeah. having, having listened to your podcast, it's one of those things where um, I've listened to it, I thought, this is, uh, this is amazing and it kind of holds a mirror up and go to me and I can 
Martin, you nearly, you really need to raise your game a bit because Marianne's is brilliant. <laughs> so. but, but I think exactly the same. At my <laughs> yeah. point, but my point is, Martin, there is creativity in each single podcast out there. Mm, and there's definitely. more than enough room for everybody as well. Exactly. So apply your skill and do it in a way you love it. And that's all there is. What do you know? Where do you think you're um, going to take it? And just for everyone's benefit, do you want to just kind of, what is it called? How can they access it? Oh, yeah, of course. Thank you. So the, the podcast is called uh, The Operational Excellence Show. It's on all the major podcast uh, platforms like uh, iTunes or Spotify. Uh, it's um, also on my website. Can I mention my website? Yeah, of course you can. My yeah. website is woodsconsulting.com and there's a, a, a little podcast tab where, where listeners can go and download and look at all the podcasts that, that we did. Also yours is there and Helen's is there. So it's, it's a great, great resource. There's a number of you know, documents that people can download, um, which I find always helpful. So yeah, and where am I going to take this? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love that answer because it's the same one I've got. Who knows? <laughs> you know, I, I love doing it. I've met great, great people. Um, on the back of, of the podcast, I a couple of weeks ago, and your colleague Helen may have mentioned that to you, but I invited a handful of people to a what I call the the peer circle, all industry people, we met and we had an elevated conversation about anything but business. Because at the end of the day, we are all, we, we are all human beings. We all have things that we sometimes think, mm, if I say that out there, then what do other people think? Mm. So we have a rule, uh, it's the Chatham House rule, and English people will know what that means. Anything in Chatham House is highly confidential, it doesn't <laughs> go out of these four walls, yeah? Um, and, we have, and they applied that rule, and we had now we had two circles now, and it was just amazing. So, so that's a byproduct of the, the podcast, because people just kept talking to me and I talked to them and I thought well how about that would you like that oh yeah we would it, so that's a that's so a it's any so the rule is it, it cannot be about business so the, 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 when I started this the rule was it cannot be about COVID-19 and politics <laughs> <laughs> yes and very good we, have got, we have got people from Germany from the Netherlands from Ireland and the UK in there and so, so it was really politics was probably not even that, you know, mm. um, uh, dominant. Um, but we also agreed that, um, of course, we work and, and business comes out. But it's about kind of sharing the next deeper layer of a concern. Mm. So it's not about, oh, I, haven't, I have a really difficult project and it's not going very well. It's about, I do have a really difficult project the issues are A, B, and C, and it it does that and this and either with me, and I don't know how to do to deal with that. Mm. And it's great; people seem to love it. I bet they, I bet they do. And do so, you do you um, do you think 
the lockdown and now how we're it's, it seems to me that because we're all communicating in this way now this is the only way i know people are starting mm -hmm. to return yeah. um but there's you know the majority is still um in a virtual world yeah it seems that everyone even those that might not have been comfortable doing it initially have recognized that there is because you're being invited into people's homes visually that they're more inclined to spend the time to try and connect on a more personal level during mm. work i think that's that's one that's definitely one but what i also heard is from people that have that run their own business that were, maybe were consultants for a while and didn't really have colleagues anymore mm. you know on a permanent basis mm. um they they did they did feel even more isolated in the lockdown than beforehand because in fairness if i go into a, a firm i go in i be there for maybe three months maybe six months maybe a bit longer depending on the work i need to do um and i connect on a personal level maybe with two people yeah. i don't have when, when i worked in corporate i had friends in every every department yeah and i just walked around and took yeah. my coffee and said hey finance guy let's go to the canteen have lunch together that all fell away yeah. And you still need this interaction. And, and I feel decisions that we made when we, or, or views that we shared when we walked the floor or we walked to the canteen or we, we, we went out and I'm not even a smoker, but I went out with the smokers because everyone, that, this is where the chat happened, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I absolutely know that experience in Turkey, the whole contact center used to disappear, so I have to follow oh, absolutely, them. in India yeah. too, everybody went out. Yeah, where's everyone going? <laughs> yeah, exactly, you, you need to go so, so that you can get this interaction and you can hear maybe something personal or sometimes really topics are discussed on the way into the boardroom, let's face mm. it, and when we go in, we already have made up our mind. And we know exactly what we want to say because we, we have some backup. That's all gone. That's all gone away. So, how I, how is it going to be replaced? Do you think if this continues? Do you know that's an that's an interesting question. I wholeheartedly believe we in our industry we could have had a good mix of home working and in center working for a long time. And only a handful of outsourcers and contact centers have, have actually um, taken advantage of it and built a model that works for them. Mm. So when this COVID happened, they weren't all that surprised because mm. they either had an arm, they already had home workers, or they, they, you know, they, had a, they had some sort of understanding. But I also realize and I hear that a lot, working from home is not for everybody. Yeah and and there i think that there is where the hr element will play a much bigger role and the recruitment element will play a much bigger role because you need to hire people into the right environment so if somebody is really not suited for whatever the reason may be to work from home yeah. you need to offer this person opportunity to work in center and that that balance is 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 really i don't think we have found a formula for that how, how we can do it but we need to to have both yeah 
Well, I'm sure with people like you in the industry, we'll find a solution. Oh, well, you and I can find the solution. How about that? And we just dish it out. <laughs> that, sound, that sounds good to me. Um, Marianne, you absolutely, even before today, um, I've got great admiration for, for what you do and the passion that you bring and your competency. You're genuinely inspirational. Um, just, to, just to end, what, for a message to people who want to kind of pursue a similar similar career to you mm -hmm. or just want to progress what would be your advice to them my advice would really be go for it but never forget where you started off it pains me when i walk the floor and i sit with somebody and we start to chat and then they say why are you sitting with me and i'm going because i'm generally interested in what you do i want to hear and then we chat again and then somebody says, well, do you know, you are one of the very few people that sits with me. Yeah. And then I know what's fundamentally wrong on that contact center floor. So when, when you strive for your career and, and you build your career, you genuinely care about people. You want the best for you people. Never forget where you came from. Never forget that you started off as an agent, as a team manager. And remember, these are the people who actually bring in the money at the end yeah. you pay my salary quite yeah. frankly so yeah. i better understand that and honor them for the work they do because if they weren't there i wouldn't be where i am yeah. it's about honoring the position you hold and honoring the position that other people hold i find that extremely important marianne i, I love that phrase and it's a lovely one to to end on to kind of honor the work that people do and honor your yeah. own work so yeah. marianne rutz thank you so much we definitely have to just keep popping back on each other's podcast there's so much more I'm we sure can talk there about will be, there will be an encore with you there's no there's <laughs> no doubt about it martin thank you very much for having me i thoroughly enjoyed the conversation thank you very much thank you would have loved to have had more time to talk to marianne uh fascinating person real role model and inspiration definitely check out her website um, ruxconsulting.com and you'll see there the podcast that she has called the operational excellence podcast um, great guest and hopefully we get to speak to marianne again uh, thanks again for listening if you haven't already please do subscribe and feel free to contact me any interactions about the um, podcast even if it's criticism or anything like that, I'm all ears. Thanks very much. Take care. Bye-bye.